Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. So what do you do? You have a relationship that matters to you, perhaps a marriage, for example, a strong engagement where you're nearing marriage, or the fact that you become so close to each other that you anticipate that you'll be together for life, even if you're not yet officially engaged. But then some major problem occurs. I mean, a major brouhaha. It could be that one of you gets involved with someone else. It could be that one of you turns out to have a big gambling problem or other kind of addiction, alcohol, drugs, whatever it might be. It could be any number of things, but if it's a major problem, I'm talking about one that causes all kinds of pain and agony to the point where it looks as if your relationship is done. It is over. It's not going to last any longer after this. Yet, you decide you're going to try to work it out. How do you do that? I'm going to be sharing that with you in the next few minutes. I will be talking primarily about it in terms of marriage, but understand that the principles I'm going to be sharing are applicable to any kind of relationship. Actually, believe it or not, it even could apply to the relationship between parent and child if some major problem actually took them apart and they're trying to come back together with some kind of reconciliation. Now, as I start this, understand that I'm assuming that the couple that I'm talking to at this point have reached the point where that they are willing to try reconciliation, even if one or both might still have some questions about whether they should do it. In other words, I'm not really sure, but at least they've decided to do it. Now, I'm assuming that if you have decided to try reconciliation, maybe you're totally committed to it, maybe you're just going to try it, that you have at least asked some questions of yourselves that would be very important to you, such as, is it safe? And when I talk about is it safe, I mean, is it safe physically? Is it safe emotionally? And I guess if you're spiritual people, you could even say, is it safe spiritually speaking? Sometimes people say, well, I'm not going to reconcile because of the fact that it's not safe. And then when I start asking more questions, I finally find out that what they're really saying is, yes, I do think it is safe. I just don't want to reconcile. And I always say to people like that, if you don't want to reconcile, at least be honest about it. Don't claim that you're not going to reconcile because it's not safe when you know in your heart that it really is. If you don't want to reconcile, at least be honest. Now, I'm assuming if you're trying to reconcile, you've made that decision. It is safe for me. It is safe for each of us. And if you have like children involved, it's safe for them physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Is it safe? And then, of course, that you should examine your beliefs and values. Now, I've talked about those before, but let me briefly explain what they mean now. Beliefs are those things that you hold to be true. Values are how you expect other people to behave based on what you believe to be true. I can illustrate that very quickly in a very one short illustration here. In America, for example, if you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, then your value system would be against same-gender marriage. If you believe that marriage is between any two people who truly love each other, then you'd be for same-gender marriage. You understand that your belief determines what you value. Your belief determines what you believe people should do. And so you look at your own beliefs and values and say, should I try to reconcile? For example, I've had people tell me, I'm the one who cheated, for example. I had an affair. 
But my wife is willing to take me back or my husband is willing to take me back. And I'm going not because of the fact that I have suddenly fallen deeply and madly in love with my spouse again. As a matter of fact, I may even have some kind of a lingering, strong emotional connection with the person I had the affair with. But my beliefs and values say to me that I made a vow that we would be married until death do us part. And I'm going to keep that vow. And I'm going to go back to my wife or back to my husband because my beliefs and values tell me to do so. And so if you see that it's safe, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, if your beliefs and values are saying, yeah, this is the right thing to do, and if you're both willing, and notice I said both, both willing to forgive, because there's going to be forgiving on both sides. So let me address the two different people. First, I want to talk to the returning spouse. Now, again, as I've already said, this is applicable to relationships like between engaged couples, boyfriend, girlfriend. I mean, it can apply to any two people. I'm going to be talking about it primarily in the concept or at least in the area of marriage because I can illustrate better there. Just you make the principles if uh, apply to your situation if it's a little different than that. So let me talk to the returning spouse. Now, let's say that you are the one who has left or that you have caused the marriage to fall apart. Maybe, maybe actually your spouse threw you out because of something like your spouse found out about your addiction or you know the fact that you've been involved with somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. If you're the returning spouse, even if you're hesitant about returning, even if that's the case, even if you're hesitant about returning, but you have thought to yourself, okay, we're going to try this. We are definitely going to try to reconcile. Then here's the first thing I suggest that you do, and I hope you understand the principle behind this. Whatever you have done, if it indeed has hurt your spouse, and I'm assuming that it has, then you start with confession and you ask for forgiveness. Now, I'm not talking about you beating yourself up here in any kind of fashion. You don't talk about how evil and wicked you are. You don't talk about how that you don't deserve forgiveness, all those kinds of things. That actually is going to work against you. Calmly, now not dispassionately, you don't walk in there and make it sound like you don't really care. That's not going to work. But calmly and, and with the appropriate emotion that you actually feel, you look at your spouse, your husband or your wife, the person that you hurt, because you're the returning spouse, you understand, and you say, I am sorry, then I did blank. And you say specifically what blank is. And then you say, if you can find it in your heart to forgive me, I would appreciate it if you will. You say, well, why should I start with that? Because sometimes people try to reconcile a relationship, and the person who was the strayer, if you'll let me use that phrase, the person who is the one that's the returning spouse Sometimes just wants the other spouse to say, okay, it's over, it's done. I don't need to talk about it anymore. Just let me come home and everything will be fine from this point on. I don't want to tell you that I'm sorry about what I did. I don't want to confess. I don't want to talk about it at all. And in most cases, that is not going to work. You say, well, why not? Because if you're going to come back, if, if you're going to make this effort, even if you're doing it half-heartedly to begin with, but at least you have said we're going to try this reconciliation, then try to understand your spouse's hurt. And because of the hurt that your spouse feels, oh, yes, I understand you have hurt as well. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But try to understand the, the hurt that your spouse has. And one way to understand that is to start off by saying, I know I hurt you by blank, whatever blank is, gambling our money away, being addicted to alcohol, uh, the fact that I had an affair with this other person, whatever it might be. I know I hurt you by that. I am sorry that it hurt you. And I ask that if you will, you forgive me. 
Now, doing that is beginning to try to understand the pain and the hurt the other person has. Now, there's more to it as well, which means if you're the returning spouse, one thing that can be of great help is to listen to your spouse as he or her, or he or she, I should say, pardon me, as he or she talks about the pain that he or she feels. I know you don't want to hear it. As a matter of fact, let me illustrate with my own life. Back back in 1984, yeah, I know this a long time ago. I'm an old dude. <laughs> Trust me, I don't feel old whatsoever. I feel like a young man. But back in the 1980s, 1984, I divorced my wife, and I left her because I was going to be with another woman. And we were divorced three years before I finally came back and asked if she would consider reconciliation. And it was not because of the fact that I woke up one morning and realized I was in love with her. Oh, and by the way, when she took me back, it was not because she had realized she was madly in love with me again. We had finally gotten to the point where most of the animosity was passed, and therefore we weren't saying these mean, terrible things to each other anymore. But the love we felt was more like a love of a, toward a brother or sister or a friend, maybe not even as much as a brother or sister, a friend, and people say, why did you get married again? I went, I actually went through it a few minutes ago. My beliefs and values said I should try to go back and do what I believe to be the right thing. And her beliefs and values told her the same. She was already dating. She was already dating somebody else. And yet when I asked her to come back, and of course the guy she was dating was not happy about that at all. Like, you really? You're going back to the guy? No, we're her family or her friends, nor all the church leaders she asked about, should she come back to me? All of them were not happy about that either. No, don't do that. When we got back together, my nature, because of the fact that I'm the kind of guy that just likes to get things done and move on, my personality is, hey, I hurt you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Now let's go on from here. My wife's personality is very different than that, and she needed to talk to explain her hurt. Now, this isn't more of an, it is more of an art than a science, but it's a thing where that you learn to listen to the other person. And the art here is you can do this for a while, but you can't do it forever because it winds up damaging the person who's trying to come back. But there should be some here where she's able to explain, this is the hurt I feel, this is how I felt when you did this, how I felt when you did that. Now, it can't go on forever. It really can't even go on for months, you understand. Maybe a couple of weeks, maybe. But again, an art, not a science. I can't tell you exactly how long. But you get to the point where that the other person feels like you truly understand the hurt that they felt. And so you actually let him or her listen. Now, you, I mean, uh, speak and you listen. You don't go back continually Every time saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so bad, I'm so evil, I'm so wicked, can you forgive me? That's not the purpose here. The purpose is to listen and to understand. And if you can understand your spouse is hurt, at least as much as you can, you'll have different personalities. Plus, if you're the person who was the strayer and not the one who had the, the things done against you, you won't completely understand, but you try. And then you accept well, let me say something else here. You also need to understand your own grief process. If indeed the reason that you had this major relationship trauma is because of the fact that you have been emotionally involved with somebody else and you have ended that relationship, there is going to be a period of grief. And you need to understand your own grief process. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's not exactly as like the Kubler-Ross grief when people lose somebody to death, but it's very, very similar. 
there's going to be, it's not a linear thing, by the way. It's kind of three steps forward, two steps back sort of thing, where that you're going to feel some agony and pain over losing that other person if you were involved with another person. Or it may be that you've actually given up, like maybe a career. You decided to come off the road because you want to um, reconcile your relationship. You'll grieve that, losing that career that you had. There, there are different things other than a human being that you can grieve here. But understand that if you are leaving something or someone that was very important to you and that you had a deep emotional connection to, you yourself are going to go through a grief process. Now, you say, well, why is that important for me to know, Dr. Beam? It's because of the fact that if you don't understand that's what's happening, you may back out of this reconciliation process before it's done because you'll be thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm still emotionally tied to that other person or my career or whatever it might have been. And therefore, this is not working. I need to leave this because this is not going to make it like I want it to be. No, no, no. If you understand that you're going through a natural grief process, then you can stay in the reconciliation process and not become so discouraged you walk away because of the emotions that you feel. And the things you will feel can go from anger to uh, bargaining to, I mean, all kinds of things that go on inside of you. And there'll be a little piece of you. Well, I'll go back to my example that I talked about earlier. Alice and I reconciled. We actually remarried each other in 1987. We divorced in 1984. So that was three years. When we reconciled, you might understand there'd be a part of me still somewhat emotionally connected to that other person. And, and so thoughts go through your head such as, wow, I wonder, I wonder if I could get that person back. I wonder if I could reestablish that relationship, even if the other person ended it, even if you ended it. And so understand that that grief process, that grief process is something that you're going to go through. And by understanding that you'll have the strength, hopefully to hang in there and to not freak out because your own emotions are vacillating so much. And one day you feel this and the next day you feel that. And the next day you feel something altogether different and you think I can't do this. Well, you can, if you understand that and then accept the fact that reestablishing a relationship takes time. You see, if you still have any kind of emotion for the other person, you're going to feel conflict because sometimes whether you want it to happen or not, you're going to be missing him or her, and you'll start comparing your spouse to that person. It's probably not going to be a fair evaluation or fair comparison, but, you know, you're not being logical. It's about emotion. So, but just understand that sometimes that's going to happen. And you may sometimes think we need to abandon this reconciliation process because I don't have the connection with my spouse. And, and I should have that by now. I've heard people talk about that even, even a couple of weeks into it. By now, I should be feeling some kind of emotional connection to my spouse. That's not happening. Therefore, this reconciliation process just isn't working. Or sometimes it could go a couple of months. I'm still not feeling this emotional connection to my spouse, so this is just not working. You understand that whatever it was that led you to do whatever you did that violated your marriage and caused this problem, you do understand from that that trying to put a relationship back together, there is going to be emotional vacillation. And that because of that, you are not, in most cases at least, you are not going to have immediate emotional reconnection with your spouse. You say, well, how long will it take? I, asked, I heard, actually heard someone else ask my wife, Alice, that about how long did it take for you to truly emotionally reconnect with Joe 
understand she was the one that had, that had been abandoned. I had divorced her to go be with that other woman. And the question to her was, how long did it take for you to truly emotionally reconnect with Joe? I found that a very interesting question because I'd never had asked her that. I don't remember if anybody's ever asked me that about her. And what she said was, it took about a year. Now, that didn't shock me. It didn't discourage me. I'm not saying that for you, it'll take a year either. I'm not trying to tell you that. I'm just saying that, that what Alice did that was brilliant on her part was to know we will and we can. We'll do the right things and keep doing the right things. And I'm quite convinced that I've made a decision that is consistent with my beliefs and values, that is consistent with the fact that I'm safe with Joe and that we can both forgive and therefore, I'm going to stay in this until it works. And I can assure you that Alice and I are very much in love with each other. For those who've heard this program very often, you've heard me talk about a thing called limerence. And I can tell you right now, it's not that. We don't have limerence toward each other. It's something much deeper. It's not as ecstatic. It's not an emotional high. I don't know how to describe it other than to say it's an emotional depth that's just solid it's not the kind of thing you get giddy about, but it's the kind of thing that you just take great comfort in. And you know, this is the person who will be with me for a lifetime, a lifetime. And so as I came back to her, I had to understand that sometimes I would have conflict of emotion because I'd been emotionally involved with the other person and understand that there were times when I'd want out because I was not making that emotional reconnection with Alice as quickly as I wanted to. But the truth of the matter is this. Actually, it's the principle of the book I wrote called The Art of Falling in Love. Falling in love is a process. If you faithfully follow the process, you'll fall in love whether you intend to or not. But if you vacate or violate the process, you'll fall out of love whether you intend to or not. And so if you're the returning spouse and you're thinking, I'm going to give up on this because I'm not emotionally reconnecting with my spouse, be patient. Keep doing the right things. This is not the reason to bail out. You understand that the reason you're not emotionally reconnecting right now in all likelihood has to do with emotional confusion from what you've done before. Now, here's another thing. Establish trust by becoming very transparent. What I mean by that is being very open, very honest, answer the questions. Now, we do recommend that you do not answer the questions that create visuals. If, for example, when Alice and I got back together, she had said, did you ever kiss that woman? And you understand I chose the least offensive verb I could think of there. If I were to say yes, then Alice gets a mental picture of me kissing that woman. Two things about it. Number one is it's not accurate. It's her imagination of it. Number two, long after I'm healed and past that, she'd still have that in her mind. So we ask that you don't ask the questions that create a visual, but that you answer all the others. And the deal I made with Alice was, I'll tell you anything you want to know. Just be sure when you ask the question that you really want to know it. Because once I tell you, I can't untell you. And sometimes she'd ask the questions and I'd say, do you really want to know the answer to that? And if she'd say yes, I'd tell her. Sometimes she would cry. Sometimes it would hurt me so badly to see her hurt that I would get misty-eyed myself. But it was a way to reestablish trust by my being open and transparent. And I've heard her tell many people, how did I learn how to trust you again? He became very open and answered all of my questions. Now, interestingly, in addition to rebuilding trust, that also was recreating intimacy with Alice and me. You say, what? 
If you understand intimacy to be into me, see, openness, transparency, vulnerability, because as I answered Alice's questions and some of those things gave her information, she could have used to hurt me. Like she could have told my mom, do you know what your boy did? I mean, she could have hurt me with one of my friends, etc. She protected that information that I gave her. And by so doing, she made it where I could to her openly and honestly and with vulnerability, which create, which in, well, first created and then increased the feelings of intimacy I had toward her. And so my transparency didn't just help rebuild her trust. It, with time, helped rebuild my love for her. And then again, if you're a returning spouse, you establish boundaries and procedures to help your spouse feel safe. What I mean by that is, you know, you do things where that he or she doesn't have to worry about what you're up to. Maybe you turn over the handling of money to your spouse if you've had a gambling problem. Maybe, maybe you, if you're going to be 10 minutes late, you call and say, here's where I am. And with today's smartphones, you can take a picture here. I'm with Charlie, see? But you do the things and and if you can do so without violating some other ethical code, give the passwords to your email. I can I would be able to do that with Alice today, except for my account with our nonprofit marriage helper. I couldn't give her the passwords of that email because people share their problems and information with me and for the confidentiality ethically I couldn't share that with Alice. But otherwise you you make it where hey, you can see whatever's on my the text messages on my phone. Here, look, you can see my email, you can see this, you can see that. You do that. So that the other person can have a trust for you again. And even though that might feel overbearing, it won't be overbearing because of the fact that you're volunteering it. It's not being forced on you. And you set a time like I can do this for nine months or I can do this for a year. I can do this. For, you know, you set a time and now it's not a burden because you are the one offering it to your spouse. And that works out pretty well. And finally, I'm saying, if you're the returning spouse, patience with yourself, please. Patience with your spouse. Sometimes he or she is still going to do some stupid stuff, just like you're going to, because that's what human beings do, you understand? And there'll be times when you'll think, oh, my goodness, why in the world did I think I could ever work this out? Look, my spouse is whatever. So be patient with you if the emotions aren't reconnecting as strongly and fast as you want them to, if you still have some emotional connection to the other person, if sometimes you think I just want to be free and run wild and do whatever I want to do and not have the responsibilities of being married, be patient with yourself, be patient with your spouse, be patient with the situation. Now let me address the other spouse. And for the time being, since I call that person, the returning spouse, let me call this person, the accepting spouse. Okay. So your spouse has done something like in our situation, I left Alice for another woman. Again, it could be anything else. It could be an addiction. It could be all kinds of things. We don't need to talk about all of the possibilities out there. When your spouse is saying, okay, I'm willing, let's try to reconcile. First of all, please understand this. Don't expect it to happen quickly. Don't get frustrated if after a week, two weeks, three weeks, two months, whatever it might be, it's not where you want it to be. It is a process that takes some time. And even though you don't want to hear this, if your spouse was emotionally connected to somebody else, there's going to be a grief period. Well, let me talk about that just in a minute. I'll skip that for the time being. Just understand that it can take a while. And if you're saying, well, he's been back for three months now, but he still seems to be emotionally distant. We're still not having those conversations I wanted to have. Okay. I understand, but don't expect it to happen quickly. Oh, and by the way, and this is to both, and I meant to mention it earlier for the returning spouse, 
don't expect, either one of you, either the returning spouse or the accepting spouse, don't expect sex to be great immediately. Can it? Yes, it can. Does it happen? I hear about it. Mm -hmm. It does happen. But it has great deep hurt. And especially if the returning spouse still has, even though he or she's coming back and wanting to make the marriage work, there's still some residual emotional connection to this other person, then they may not be very much in tune with you sexually. They may be saying things like, I just can't get excited about, or I I somehow feel like I'm cheating on him or her. Sometimes they even say that. Uh, Or, you know, sex should only occur when people have a strong emotional bond, and we don't. I came back because I believe it's the right thing to do, but we don't have yet a strong emotional connection, and therefore I don't think we should ever have sex until we do. I mean, you can hear all kinds of things from the spouse who's returning and from the spouse who has been accepting, I'm taking you back, particularly if there's been some kind of sexual involvement with somebody else. Sometimes you'll have problems sexually because in your mind, You're going to be thinking, my husband, if he was the strayer, or my wife, if she was the strayer, is mentally pairing me to this other person. Even when they're not doing it, you'll sometimes wonder if they are. And you'll be thinking to yourself, oh, my goodness, he's thinking about her. She's thinking about him. And you may have trouble reconnecting, and you'll get very frustrated if you try to have sex with each other, and the other person just emotionally doesn't get into it. It's easy for you to feel rejected. And I understand that. I mean, I really do understand that. But are you hearing me? I hope you do. That is par for the course. It doesn't happen with every couple. Some couples get back together and the sex is great immediately. With many, that's a process of reconnecting as well. And if one or both of you think, well, sex shouldn't happen until we're emotionally connected, listen to this part of it. I'll say this now as a sexologist. A sexologist is one who studies sex and teaches sex. Even if you don't emotionally connect to begin with, if you do make love to each other, understand that when you orgasm and when your spouse orgasms, it it produces this chemical oxytocin. It's the strongest way it gets into your system other than at childbirth. Okay, if you're birthing a baby, the chemical that starts that is oxytocin. So, I mean, that's a big dosage there. But when a male or a female orgasms, Oxytocin is released into into them in two different ways. One into the bloodstream as a hormone, the other into the autonomic nervous system. You say, well, why is that a big deal? Because oxytocin is a strong bonding chemical. And even if you don't feel the emotion to to each other, or one of you doesn't feel it for the other, to begin with, the more you make love to each other, even if it's not the ecstasy that you want, if you can both be orgasmic, and I don't mean, you know, orgasming at the same time, that's, that's really a myth kind of thing there. If you can make love to each other, even though the emotional connection is not strong to begin with, and I'm saying this to both spouses, it actually can help rebuild the relationship. It really can. If you don't wind up arguing over the fact, oh, I can tell you're not emotionally into this right now, accept it that right now it's going to be okay. My friend, Barry McCarthy, PhD, who is a great sex researcher and a great sex therapist and also a university professor, although he's recently retired from that. He's now touring the country, actually, teaching counselors and therapists how to do sex therapy. I mean, Barry's a really sharp guy. And Barry's research indicates that 
even in the best of marriages, sex is just so-so most of the time. I mean, surely if you've been married for a while, you know that, right? Now, if you're coming out of a limerick situation where you are madly emotionally connected to a lover, it may not have settled back into that okay kind of sex, but it would have. Trust me, it always does. Typically, after that limerick dies down, and, and it always does, then sex becomes like it does for everybody else. And the majority of the time, even in great, great relationships, it's just okay. It really is. There are still times you're going to have the great, exciting, you know, all those kinds of things, but it's just okay. And if you can get these oxytocin highs, which is not like the high of being in limerence or being madly in love, it's not ecstasy. It's just this, well, I say high, let's call it a depth, these oxytocin depths where you just feel roots to your relationship and you feel connected, then actually making love to each other, even if one or both of you doesn't feel the emotional connection right now, actually can increase the likelihood of you making this thing work. Now, if one of you says, but I don't want to have sex like that, I get it, I understand. But I'm giving you the principles of how to actually make a reconciliation work. And sometimes it means doing something that may be not what you want to do right now. Okay, again, for the accepting spouse, if your spouse is returning, forgive. And once you forgive... Don't bring it up again. I actually met a lady years ago whose husband had had an affair, and she stayed with him afterwards. And, and would, I mean, she was not being facetious. She was being dead serious when she said to me, the only reason I've stayed with him, and so every day for the rest of his life, I can remind him what a son of a blank he is. And she was serious every day. She was going to bring it up every day. She was going to punish him for how terrible. Don't punish I mean, if you really want to reconcile, get that out of your system. Don't punish. And when you forgive, don't bring it up again. It doesn't mean you're not going to remember it. There's no such thing as forgive and forget. It's in your memory banks. But you don't bring it back up again. You don't throw it at the other person. You don't use it against them when you talk to other people. And you don't use it against them when you talk to them. And you don't create punishment in any other shape, fashion, or form. If you truly are the accepting spouse and want to work this out, forget punishing. Now, it's kind of interesting because I have seen on several occasions... Like, well, I'm thinking of a particular case now where this guy was in limerence with another woman and leaving his wife. They came through our workshop, and we did not get an immediate turnaround on his part. As a matter of fact, he still continued to be emotionally involved with the other woman after the workshop for a while. But finally, because of all the seeds we planted at the workshop, and, and if you're saying what kind of workshop are you talking about, let me explain very, very quickly. We do a Marriage Helper 911 workshop. And in that workshop, we have up to 25 couples that are in marital distress, typically marital crisis. The large majority of those, about two-thirds of the couples, their marriages have been affected by infidelity, an extramarital affair, either on his part, her part, or both their parts. And our success record, by the grace of God, is three out of four. Three out of four couples that come through our workshop, no matter what their problem is, three out of four couples actually work it out and stay together. As you understand, one out of four don't, but three out of four do, and we think those are pretty good odds. If you want to know more about that workshop, you go to our website, Marriage Helper. That's Marriage Help E-R, MarriageHelper.com, and you can read about our workshop there. If that's, of course, for both spouses, if 
your spouse, if you're listening and your spouse is not ready to reconcile and not ready to go through a workshop like ours, there's another thing I suggest you look for. We have a, co- a course that is online for the spouse who wants to save the marriage when the other one's not willing to do anything about it right now. Again, go to marriagehelper.com, marriagehelper.com, slash, all one long word, save my marriage, all small letters, one word, no blanks, save my marriage, marriagehelper.com, slash, save my marriage. You can find out about our 10-week course there where we can work with a one spouse who wants to save the marriage. By the way, we also have coaching calls every week to go with that. And I think it's next week we start our new series of 10 coaching calls. And so if you're going to get on that, I'd suggest you do it before next Monday night so you can be from those co- in the coaching calls from day one, as well as all the things you'll have in the course, the videos, the audios, the PDFs, and et cetera. Now, all the way back to this. The story I was telling you was this couple went through our workshop. When he got home, he was still involved with the other woman for a while, but the things that we talked about in the workshop finally began to take root in him, and he finally made a decision that he wanted to save his marriage. And so he came back to his wife and said, Let's save our marriage. Let's do this. Now, we expect that in those cases, the spouse who's been trying their best to save the marriage would be happy. Like, oh, thank you. Finally, well, let's do the process of learning how to reconcile. Instead, she, and we sometimes see this, decided then to punish him. And, of course, as you understand, that kept the marriage from working out. Okay? So what am I saying here? If you're going to reconcile, don't try to punish the other person. Don't try to cause any kind of damage and all kinds of difficulty with that. Okay. Now, here's another thing, and I'm going to start taking questions here in a minute or two. And I have a special guest that has joined me in the studio, and I'm going to involve her when we start answering the questions here in a couple of minutes. Another thing is try to understand the emotions of the returning spouse. Try to understand the emotions that led them to leave. Try to understand the emotions that they may still feel toward the thing they were doing which might be an addiction, which could also be a relationship with another person. You say, why? Because the more you are able to understand the other person's emotions, the greater the likelihood that you can emotionally reconnect with each other, even though, even though you may not do that immediately, as we've talked about it, it takes a process. And then don't ask a lot of questions that make the spouse feels like you're giving the third degree. Because if you do that, with time, it's just going to cause a lot more problems. Now, yes, there are some things you want to know, but don't do it like where you're attacking or the other person becomes afraid. And if you are going to ask questions, understand this. Sometimes your spouse will become afraid no matter what. And when he or she does, when they reach that fear point, it's going to be awfully difficult for them to tell you the truth after that. And so never, ever look at him or her and say, is that everything? <laughs> Because if they reach the fear point, they're going to say, yes, that's everything. And if you find out more later, you're going to say, you terrible liar. Instead, you say things like, is that everything you can tell me right now? And then, and I'm almost done with this, we'll start taking the calls. Allow a mourning period. Particularly if he or she has given up something that was important, like another person in which they were emotionally involved or a career change because they want to try to put the marriage back together. That mourning period that I talked about a few minutes ago to the returning spouse eh, is going to happen, except the fact that it's going to happen. You, I know it might hurt. I know you don't want them to feel that. I get that. But if you truly, really want to reconcile, then you need to accept the fact that it's happening. It really is. And if you can, you actually help. You say, what? Yeah, you actually help by listening, caring, and being there for them. And then 
you should expect trust to be established. In other words, you should expect, and if you have to, you in demand, okay, if we're going to reconcile, I need to have some peace of mind. So I need to pass words to the things you can give me passwords to. I need to know where you are. If you're going to be late, I, can you do that for me? But finally, don't push. The fact that he or she is back and trying to put the marriage back together does not mean he or she is going to, are going to do things perfectly because they won't. And so there's going to be sometimes three steps forward, two steps back. But if you push, 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 you'll probably push them right out the door. Okay, we've got several callers lined up out there. And we are joined in the studio by Kimberly Holmes, who is the executive director, if you don't use that language, and say CEO, the chief executive officer of Marriage Helper, our 501c3 nonprofit. She lives in Austin, Texas, for the time being. And she has just flown in and just walked into the studio. Kimberly, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Okay. We're glad you're here as well. Is your microphone doing something funny over there? I just, can you hear me? I can hear you really okay, well. Okay, good. Okay. All right. And so let's start taking some phone calls. First, we're going to go to area code 712. Hello, 712. You're on the Joe Beam Show. How can we help you tonight? Hi. Um, um, I kind of have a question about, um, it's kind of like if if your spouse is, possibly wanting to return but is not 100 percent sure mm-hmm. just about what what like what kind of things should um should the standing spouse um how should they be acting or reacting how let me give you a little just a little bit of backstory um uh we recently attended um the workshop and um um, my spouse or my husband is um, at home, but is mm-hmm. uh, vacillating a great deal. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that he has decided. Um, actually, I should say I know that he hasn't cut um, communication off 100%. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know. I don't know how reduced communication is, but it appears to be um, like like they're talking less um mm-hmm. and he he just seems to be putting putting forth uh, more effort but mm-hmm. i'm not sure that he's 100 percent decided uh, mostly or at least somewhat in my opinion i think some of it has to do with um just basically a lot of what you talked about at the beginning of of tonight just that mm-hmm. um you know he does have those vacillating feelings and he feels like how could he possibly make it work right I understand. And so I'm just wondering, like, what um, what, what is it that I should be doing? Okay. Uh, that's a good question. It's actually a very good question. Now, the fact that he's having some communication with her, do you is your perception or feelings that they are still having an affair? Um, I mean, I really don't know. I think... I think any communication is going to make it more difficult to for him mm-hmm. to be able to make that decision. Um, but when you say affair, do I do I know that they're they're still sexually involved? I don't know that. If I if I had to guess, I would say there's a, a fairly decent chance that that is the case. Okay, 
And so what I'm hearing you say, and I'll get Kimberly to chime in on this as well here in a moment, but what I'm hearing you say is he's at home. There is a possibility of true reconciliation, but I know that he's still trying to decide between the two. And I think he may actually still be seeing her, not just talking to her, but seeing her. That's, that's what right. I've heard you say so far, correct? And you're saying, okay, what correct. do I do next? What you do next is directly dependent upon you. What I mean by that is this. The fact that he's home, the fact that he's considering reconciliation is a good thing. And what I'm hearing you say is, I'm afraid that if I put a strong boundary there and say, no more, you can't talk to her, you can't see her, and I need some kind of proof that you're not doing that, so I need to be able to do this, that, or the other. What I'm hearing you say is your fear is if you draw that hard line in the sand, if you make that boundary, then it's going to push him in the other direction. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes. Okay. And that's why I say it comes really back to you. If, if you actually feel like that it's working toward the advantage of making the marriage work, even if it's a step at a time, even if it's three steps forward and two steps back, and if you can tolerate it, then yeah, do. But if you can't, in other words, it's destroying you emotionally, or you feel like that he's really not making any progress toward you at all because of the fact that he's still involved with her, or if you believe like he's really moving more toward her than you, then the, the thing would be, well, in that case, even if it were to push him the other way, making the boundary would make sense. Because if it's destroying you emotionally, you got to stop that. If he's moving more toward her than you, then it's worth the risk, in my opinion. Of course, it's always your decision, but in my opinion. And so that's why I say it comes back to you. If you really believe he's moving in the right direction and I can put up with this for a little while, then do so. But if on the other hand, you're saying, I can't take this. This is destroying me. Then make the boundary. It's not going to happen. Or if you, you know, Kimberly, uh, maybe synthesize what I'm saying here. When did you go to the workshop? Recently. Okay. Um, I think a lot of times when people leave the workshop that you're, it, this is a very common thing that people call in or, you know, tag us on Facebook, send us an email. This is a common question. It's okay. I feel like I've done everything I know how to do. I've gotten my spouse to go to this thing with me. When is it going to turn around? And right about now is the time when people say, okay, you know, I, I don't know how much longer I can wait. What do I do next? And so, you know, what we tell people is it can take weeks, months, hopefully not years, typically not that long, but even after the workshop for that spouse who's going out, who's, you know, still trying to decide if they want to save the marriage or not, it can take a while for those seeds that were planted to come to fruition. And so just as Joe was saying, how long can you stand? How long can you live in this kind of limbo for you knowing that he at least knows everything that he needs to know in order to put the relationship back on track when limerence ends, when, uh, you know, when those kinds of different things happen, he's set up for success. So at this point, just like Joe was saying, it's up to you. How long can you stand and wait? And the longer, in my opinion, um, even though it's crazy on the inside and it's really hard to do personally, the longer that you're able to do it, the better chance for success. In my opinion, of course, I'm not living it like right now, like you are, but just from an outsider's perspective, seeing how other people have done it, um, it really does lead to the best scenario in the end. 
Are we helping okay. with this answer or just making things more confused? <laughs> no, I think I think you have. Um, I think you have helped. I just um, I suppose I have one more quick question. Say say my spouse were to be listening. Um, um, like what? Just what kind of any advice, whatever comes to mind, would you guys say? For them, for, for the spouse who is vacillating between say, coming back to the marriage or leaving the marriage. Okay, I'm still right. not understanding exactly the question. If the spouse, if her spouse were listening, mm-hmm. what was some? What is something that we could say to help that situation? Well, since I'm not really sure who you are, I don't know how to address specifically, you know, his situation. Typically, if I were having a one-on-one conversation with somebody, so for example, if he and I were talking. I'd be saying something like this. Tell me what your beliefs and values tell you are the right thing to do. That's where I would start. I'd start with that. Find out what he or she, what he thinks about that. What's the right thing to do based on your belief and value system. And if he were to say, well, I believe the right thing to do, even though my heart may not be there, my mind not be there, might not be there, but the right thing to do would be to save my marriage. That's when I would one-on-one talking to him and say, okay, if you're going to do that, I understand the tremendous power that Limerick's has to pull you toward the other person. I mean, I've been there. And because of that, I would say, if you're going to do this, then you're going to have to break off all contact with the other person. Is that going to be difficult? The answer, yes, it is emotionally very difficult to do. Then I would recommend go see your doctor and ask your doctor to write you a high dosage script of uh, a prescription of an SSRI like Zoloft. You know, one of the SSRIs, the doctors would know which one, because that actually can reduce that a lot. That, that overwhelming emotional need to talk to the other person, like, I really need to be there with you. So I would start with, what's your belief in values? And if it really is that marriage is a thing that should last a lifetime, then the next thing to do is go see the doc, get that medicine. It's not going to be the, the magic pill, the cure-all, the end-all, but it really will help. And ask your doctor to give you as high a, as a dosage as he or she is willing to give. And then you need to cut off all contact with the other person And if you have reached the point where you can be open and honest with your spouse, whenever you want to call her, tell your wife. Now, I'm assuming that you'll be able to handle that in this advice. And if you weren't able to handle that and he were to sit down and say, boy, I really wanted to call her today, that your reaction then, instead of being, you terrible man, why don't you do what's right? It would be, I understand, help me understand even more the emotions involved in this. So that you become not only his best friend, but you become, in essence, his therapist. You understand what I'm talking about? Not a true therapist, but the one that he talks to and listens to. Right, right. And so that's what I would say to him and to you. I think that is great. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Okay, and we're going to move on to the next caller. We were just talking to Iowa. And now we're going to move over here. Let's see. Kimberly, I want to see what this next area code is. <laughs> now we're going over to Missouri, right? Springfield, Missouri, I think is where the next call is coming from. And so let's go to area code 417. Hello, 417. You're on the Dr. Joe show. Hello? Yeah. Do you live in Missouri? Yes, I do. We, we're got just, it right. <laughs> we're just going by your area code. Okay. And, and right. nowadays we know that people can take their cell phones across the country with them. So we were just guessing Missouri. How can we help yes, you tonight? Absolutely. Well, first of all, uh, Joe and Kimberly, I want to thank you all so much for uh, everything you do for us. 
um, for all of us that are going through this and, and trying to make our marriages work. So I just wanted to start off with that. Thank you. That's awesome. We love yeah. it. We love doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, just a quick rundown of my situation. Me and my wife have separated it now for a year and a half. Um, unfortunately, whenever the separation happened, it was because of me. Um, I left the house. It wasn't because of anybody else. It was just the toxicity of our relationship and where things were at, um, you know, communication and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. When I did leave, I, I after the, shortly after separation, met somebody, started, you know, friending them or whatever, but uh, two months after our separation, I lost my father, um, mm. which put me in a really bad uh, spot, you know, dealing with mourning with the loss of him. Um, went into, you know, that whole dark side of losing that family member, um, was really numb to the world, um, you know, was doing everything I could to not face the reality. The relationship with this other person became physical, stuff like that. But it was never a limerence situation. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, due to my um, blindness of life of what was going on, six months after our separation, my wife got involved with somebody um, herself, where mm-hmm. she fell into a limerent relationship with this person. Um, at this point now, in January, is kind of where the reality of, of divorce hit me. Um, I kind of got past you know, my dad deal and, and kind of opened my eyes to realization of what was going on went really low. I mean, you know, it's like one thing and another. Um, but I decided that I was going to start doing everything I could to save my marriage. At that point in January, she tells me it's over, it's done, she's with somebody else, all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I continued, I started uh, to work on myself and do things and come March, we were spending time here and there um, with the kids. We had two kids and, you know, just doing things together, nothing spectacular, nothing like that. And at that time one night, we were hanging out, had a good night. Instead of ending the night there, we're continuing conversation and text message. Um, she was telling me, you know, I had to prove it to her that, of course, I wanted to fight for my love and this and that. And then she asked the question of, well, tell me everything. And I'm like, well, here's my opportunity, first opportunity to show her that I don't want to lie, I don't want to do this. So I told her everything, and all the progress was swept away. Um, mm. It went back to, I'm not going to be your wife, I hate you, don't talk to me about the kids and all this other stuff. Yeah. So I was back to, I was 10 steps back behind the starting line from where I was now. Um, up until this point, I, again, I, I continued to um, work on things your program, been working on that, doing all that stuff. Got myself in a really good place. Things were moving forward um, about a month and a half or so ago. We went two weeks where we spent every day together with the kids and doing stuff and everything. And I thought I wasn't allowing myself to get too excited about stuff because I know the process of three steps forward, two steps back, and all this other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And at the end of two weeks, she suddenly and abruptly stopped it, said, I enjoyed it spending time with you and everything, but we're spending too much time together. I don't want the kids to get their hopes up, and she just ended it all. And it's been about a month and a half now, and it's kind of like, you know, I, I kind of regressed in my progressions as far as myself and stuff like that and kind of went back into a, a, a mild, you know, depression time and stuff like that, dealing with it. 
Um, so do you feel like she's but, pulling you back and forth, like teasing you, so to say? It hasn't been because after the two and a half weeks when she's ended it, it's like we really haven't had, um, you know, a whole lot of, um, you know, conversations and stuff. I, I We had one conversation, you know, I wanted to talk about our situation, but she she doesn't talk about divorce. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't say she want one. She just says she needs time. She doesn't know what she wants. Um, okay. You know, she told me she's, she loves me like a brother, but she's not in love with me. I mean, all the typical you right. know, stuff we that, that you talk about on your program. Right. So and so how, how tonight can we help you? What can we do for you? I, I'm just trying to, you know, figure, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the limbo deal because she doesn't give me any direction on mm-hmm. what, what she's thinking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's the relationship with the other guy now, she says, is they're just strictly friends. There's nothing else there with them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it past whatever it was that she knows that right. there's no no future with him and this and right. that. I, I understand um, that. So, so how can we help you tonight? What can we do for you? Well, I would just like to know as far as you know how to progress, as far as you know, really trying to reestablish that communication with her. Even though, like, there hasn't been anything bad from my standpoint to to bring things up or you know to have anything to regress. Um, where I was, I guess, at one point, the person that caused the problems, but right. now that I've come clean, um, right. is it just more of a, a situation of her trying to get to where she needs mm-hmm. to get sure. all Absolutely. her stuff out? And right, because what I heard you say was too. that you actually did start having a relationship again, spending time with each other. Mm-hmm. Obviously, or I say obviously, then take that back. Apparently is a better word here. Apparently reached the point where that scared her a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so she backed off. But it's only been two and a half weeks since she backed off. So no, no, what it's I'm about a month and a half. Well, all right, six weeks then. Six weeks since yeah. she backed off. The fact that, that you went for a period of time with very little contact, you know, you're terrible, you're evil, I don't want anything to do with you, but finally did evolve back to spending time together, that's likely to occur again. Now, can I guarantee it will? Obviously not. But that's likely mm-hmm. to occur again. Therefore, what you do is that you don't push it because when you start pushing, you push the other person away. Instead, what you do is that you wait for the opportunity. When and if she does talk to you, because you do have kids together, right? Yes. So when and if she does talk to you, you're calm, you're gentle, you're not pushy, you're very kind, you're very understanding. And hopefully that evolves back into her being open and and talking to you again. So my suggestion would be, do what you did before that led to the situation where she became communicative and the fact that it was obvious, apparently I keep saying, obviously when that's not the case, apparently it was at the point where it did scare her. That's actually a good sign. I mean, it really is a good sign that it scared her because it indicated she was beginning in all likelihood. She was beginning to develop emotions for you again. So be patient. And I know that's hard to do. Wait for the yeah. opportunities. Don't push for it. Now, you're not waiting like a hunter waiting for the, 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 the buck to walk into the clearing where you pull the trigger. I don't mean that. It's more mm-hmm. of waiting, you know, where that when it happens, you gently, you gently start easing back into that conversation again. And I can't guarantee it's going to happen. But the fact that it did before and she backed off indicates the likelihood that it will happen again. So right. uh, my, my suggestion, my friend, and I know it's tough. I know it's hard is to be patient, as patient as you possibly can. 
Right. And don't I sent her this. the. Don't view this as you did. <laughs> Sorry, Kimberly. Kimberly, want to talk at the same time. Okay. Kimberly, what you're trying to don't, say? Don't view this as something that you did and failed, because that's not what happened. What happened was you did it and it worked, and then something happened that that you plateaued. It's just like if someone was trying to lose weight and they're doing all the right things, but then they plateau and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to throw my diet out the window." Apparently, it didn't work. It's not the case. Mm-hmm. It did work. You just had once you got to a certain place then that's where you're that's when you're supposed to tweak it and kind of go to step two so that's what we're trying to teach you here do it and get back to step one and when you get there again that's when you're going to kind of tweak it make her comfortable you know allow the that openness that honesty all that kind of stuff you're going to go to step two mm-hmm. yeah what i was going to say is that i i had you guys send her the decision points video and i've given her the material and stuff and she said she mm-hmm. would go through it and, and all that stuff um, Good. one of the things that she told me, you know, in that two weeks time, I slipped up. And as soon as I said it, I was kicking myself, but I accidentally said, you know, Hey, Bay, could you do something for me? And I said, Bay, and she had, was scared that, you know, that I was going to try and hug her, hold her hand or kiss her or something like yeah. that. And I said that, but then she was saying conversations about stuff, uh, us moving like to Colorado or, or getting a place and, you know, things that we would do, but we've never had those conversations. She would tell that to people in front of me. And I'm like, we've never had these conversations, you know? Yeah. And, you know, just like. I think you're overanalyzing. Yeah. You're thinking too much, my friend. <laughs> you're, you're driving yeah, yourself crazy. I wouldn't crazy. worry about that kind of stuff. That, really? Yeah. She's probably not sitting there worrying about it like you are. Yeah, you're, you're overanalyzing, which, which will drive you nuts, as you already know, right? Yes, so, absolutely. Uh, and, and we're going to try to get at least one more caller before we go off here. Our suggestion is keep doing what you were doing, and don't freak out if you say the word babe and, and she flinches. I mean, that's not going to be the big deal. The big deal is for you to be that person that you're trying to be. Okay, my friend? You're doing awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. All right. And I believe, if I recognize this number, Petra, is that you? Yes, it is, indeed. Okay, this is <laughs> our friend. Hi, Kimberly. <laughs> How are you? This is our friend, Pretza. She is also one of the uh, um, administrators okay? yeah. Administrators on our Facebook groups. She and her husband, Richard, are awesome people that I got a chance to meet some time back. And, and, and we're thrilled that you called in, young lady. What have you got to say tonight? Joe, I think what, everything you said was really great, but I have not thought. On top of it, I have a few things I would really like to add. And that okay. is for all the people, when you are in the process of reconciling, yes, you have to talk about all the tough stuff. But please try and have as much of a good time together where you leave all of that out of the door and just try to reconnect. That was good. really very, very important for Richard and me to do. And I think it had a profound effect on how fast we were going with our reconciliation. Mm. The other thing that's also really important, do not fall back into the old habits that brought you into this situation in the first place. That Mm -hmm. is really, really important too. But instead, really try to continue to learn and grow together. That is going to be so helpful for the whole reconciliation. Um, also, if you can, get a coach, a good coach, especially in the beginning, because there are going to be problems 
at least they were in our case. And even though Kimberly told us that we were on the fast track to reconciliation, last year I was still journaling. And when I look back to where we were a year ago, meaning half a year into reconciliation already, when I read what I wrote back then, I can see how far we have come. So please be patient, be patient, be patient. Um, and as long as you move into a good direction, even if it's very slow, that's wonderful. So that's all I wanted to say. Well, I think what you said is awesome, young lady. Really good. It's That's a really great reminder for even the two people that, that just called in of it's a slow progress. There's not a magic pill you can take. There's not something that's going to fix it in just a short amount of time. It takes time for, for these things yes. to happen. And I think what you talked about is definitely right on target. I'm glad you added that. I think that adds to what we talked about in a great way, young lady. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate oh, you doing you. that. Okay. <laughs> thank you for calling in. You thank have a good you. evening. Okay. You're- Kimberly, what would you like to say to these folks here? You know, this was a great topic tonight. I didn't know what it was till I sat down here and was re- reading all this stuff. I've... I have been working with a couple recently that this has been a major issue and I've been watching the wife doing this all wrong. It was the husband that had an addiction and confessed some things to her. um, And she has basically chosen to just hate him. And it's really sad to watch the way that that, that that marriage is going when all she has to do is be empathetic, be compassionate, uh, understand understand the hurt that her spouse was going through. Even though your spouse may be the person who offended you, that doesn't mean that they don't have all of these feelings around it. We can villainize them just as much as sometimes the person in limerence can villainize us. But really what they're going through, they have feelings and emotions and hurts and pains that they're feeling as well. Being able to empathize with that other person will go miles in helping you reconnect with them because you realize you're both hurting and you can both help each other through it. I think that's excellent. That's very, very good. Thank you for joining us for this program. Hopefully we'll see you or at least talk to you at 9 p.m. Central time next Tuesday evening. Have a good night.